Welcome to the Way Niagara Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Berta. In a couple moments, Chris and Steve will be joining me to continue our conversation in the book of James. But as we get started today, I just wanted to highlight the fact that health is very important to us at Way. Our physical health, emotional health, our spiritual health, and our community health. And one of the important elements of health is actually pursuing healing. And so I would like to share with you some thoughts from a friend of mine, a psychotherapist named Dr. Mary Lynn. Dr. Mary, take it away. Today, we're going to be talking about the vital importance of pursuing healing. Many of you listening may come from dysfunctional family backgrounds, or you've experienced significant trauma that's marked you in some way. If we stop and reflect for even a second, most of us would admit that some of our current struggles today in our work, relationships, parenting, and even our relationship with God has been impacted by our early childhood experiences. Some of us even feel stuck as we find ourselves repeating dysfunctional patterns of thinking, feeling, or behaving. The good news is that there is something we can do to change our life and discover God's purposes in our story, even the most painful parts. I love what Dan Allender says, healing is not the resolution of our past. It's the use of our past to draw us into a deeper relationship with God and his purposes for our lives. Isn't that wonderful? So what does it take? Three things, self-awareness, a teachable heart, and a determination to change. You have to be intentional about this. Otherwise, it's impossible to break free from old patterns. Healthy choices don't just happen by accident. And sorry, we aren't born with the genes to have a healthy family just because. Your friend who has that great family, she's been intentional, not lucky. Your coworker with the wonderful marriage, he's been purposeful, not accidental. So, are you ready to break free? Step one, start off by facing the problem. Be honest with yourself and do a thorough self-assessment. What's not working in your life? Rather than blaming others or your circumstances, take responsibility for your part of the pain you've been experiencing in your relationships, your career, or your faith. What needs changing in your life? If you don't know, consider the tough step of asking trusted friends. If you do this, you have to have a thick skin and be willing to hear what they have to say about your dysfunctional patterns that they've noticed in your life. Is it your out-of-control temper? Is it the way you constantly sabotage your career? Are you now on your third or fourth marriage or serious relationship? So after you face the problem, the next step is to understand your family of origin. Consider where you came from and where you are today. If things aren't working out today for you, especially in your relationships or your sense of worth, consider your family of origin or early childhood experiences. What was your mom like as a mother? What was your dad like as a dad? Or if you want an even more in-depth look at your family of origin issues, consider seeing a professional therapist. Remember, the intent is never to blame your parents. Often they did the best they could with the tools they had. Instead, this is about understanding some of the experiences that shaped you growing up. Your family was your biggest influence, either in causing you to follow the same path or your decision to deviate. So step three, recount your experiences. Review the experiences you had growing up and consider how they may have shaped you. What conclusions did you draw about yourself, about others, about God? 
To help you with this exercise, think through the different stages of your life, from birth to toddler years to elementary school years to adolescence to young adulthood. Journal your various experiences without worrying about editing. This isn't an essay that will be reviewed, but it's a simply a chance for you to self-reflect. Take as long as you need to do this step. And once you've done that, step four is to experience the feelings. As you consider your family of origin experiences and your relationships with your mother and father, allow yourself to remember how you felt. This is a time to grieve and acknowledge the pain you may have experienced and to validate your emotions. How do you feel today as you remember? Angry, abandoned, sad, numb? If you're feeling intense and overwhelming emotions, please stop this exercise and get professional help. Please don't do this alone. If you can recount traumatic experiences without any emotions, you have likely shut down your heart to cope. This too can be a problem, as being so shut off from your own emotions can lead to a myriad of relational and health problems. So that too can be a warning sign that there's work to be done, perhaps under the care of someone who knows what to do to unlock your heart. Step five, forgive and let go. I don't suggest this step lightly, especially if you come from a family that has abused you or caused you great harm. And I don't say to forgive your family just because you should or else you're being a bad Christian. Forgiveness is for you. It's about letting go of your need for justice, not because you shouldn't get justice, but because this is the only way you can be free from the bondage of bitterness and unresolved hurt and the dysfunctional chains that tie you to your family. Trust me, this is the only way to true freedom. If you're finding this step difficult to do, please get help. Being in the presence of a caring, grace-filled, and non-judgmental person can go a long way to helping you break free. And do it for real, not as a going-through-the-motion exercise. Step six, trace patterns of behavior. Now that you've taken the time to think about your family of origin relationships and patterns, consider how they're currently showing up in your life. It can be subtle and having a different face. For example, you might not be an alcoholic like your father, but are you a workaholic? Maybe your mother always exploded when she got angry, but your patterns of bottling your anger and then punishing others in passive-aggressive ways may be rooted in how anger was handled in an unhealthy way in your home. Again, your spouse and close friends can be a mirror to help you look at your patterns honestly. Step seven, set healthy boundaries. I won't belabor the point right now as it's beyond the scope of this topic, but it'll be important for you to set healthy boundaries with your family of origin, especially if they try to pull you back into their dysfunctional dance. For many of us, we're still in relationship with our parents and siblings, and so it's important that we don't lose the great progress we've made every single time we come into contact with them. Learn how to be respectful of them, but also of yourself and your boundaries. And then finally, step eight, commit to the change process. Make personal growth a priority in your life and take active steps to change. This includes educating yourself through reading books related to your areas of concern, taking workshops, asking others to hold you accountable, seeking mentoring relationships with people who do well in what you want to do, or pursue counseling and make personal growth your lifelong goal. Invite God into this journey of growth as it's absolutely his will. He will complete the good work he's begun in you. He loves a teachable heart and he will give you great capacity to change. 
and give permission to your trusted family and friends to confront you when you, they see you exhibit old patterns. Yes, even your kids. It takes great humility, but it's so worth it. Welcome back to our conversation on the book of James. I'm here with Chris and Steve. And last week we had a great conversation wrapping up James chapter 1. And today we are going to get started in James chapter 2. James chapter 2 starts off with the bold heading of the sin of favoritism. This is a, it's a thought-provoking title when you look at the sin of favoritism and just to balance that too my bible here says a warning against prejudice nice Mm. so it it's interesting because it's kind of the it's the different sides of the same coin Mm -hmm. favoritism on one side judgment prejudice on the other which i guess are both forms of judgment yes and so here we go into judgment my brothers and sisters do not show favoritism as you hold on to faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Don't show favoritism. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And that uh, concludes the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that comes up with so much um, imagery, you know, growing up in the church. I certainly have seen both the opulently wealthy people come in and also the poor and, um, you know, people that were definitely in, in the, the depths of need. Uh, in the same place and I recognized as a young person the difference but I never made a distinguish like I never saw them just just in different places or I never saw anyone really treating them differently I'm curious if you guys had an experience where you ever you know saw your church your fellow church people treat someone poorly because of how they looked or or better because of how they looked either way really right yeah, I'd say the one that sticks out to me most is actually, I remember a person that had mental health issues, and uh, I eventually learned he had brain damage, mm. but uh, he was not well off. He was living off government supports, which I totally understand, and uh, just because he didn't act the same way, he was often asked to stay at the back, mm. and if he started to get a little rowdy, he was asked to leave, mm. and nobody was there for him they were just there to tell him what he should and shouldn't be doing. Hmm. I actually had a bit of a convicting situation on this one where there was this individual that had some kind of um, intellectual disability. And so he was actually a number of years older than me, but he would have been in youth with me and in, in similar groups. And yeah, there was always situations like you know, where he was kind of pushed to the side and meetings with the parents to, quote, deal with the problem. And, mm. like, the guy had nothing but a good heart. Right. Like, he, yeah, maybe sometimes some misplaced behavior or, you know, 
maybe bothering someone and not having boundaries mm-hmm. when they're like about to teach or something like that. But it was nothing malicious. Right. Yeah. And so eventually this individual left the church. Mm-hmm. And I would say completely justified. Yeah. And then, you know, I catch up with him years later and I see him at a different church and not only was he being welcomed and loved and cared for he was actually invited on the worship team to play drums hmm. wow and he was actually doing a pretty good job interesting where a lot of where in other places people were just beating him down beating him down beating him down hmm. this other church saw his potential interesting and so i went up and i talked to one of the pastors of that church that i know had kind of taken an interest in him and was mentoring him and discipling him and i just made a comment where i'm like something to the degree of you know, I really appreciate that you're willing to um, invest in and care for someone that, you know, a lot of other people have a challenge with. Something in like in meaning, like me trying to say, like, well done. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is really great. But he actually got offended. Hmm. He's like, basically, how dare you compliment me? Because that's a form of treating him as less than. Yeah. And I really like this guy. And he's really great. Hmm. And that it actually did kind of reframe my thinking mm-hmm. in that he had a contribution. Yeah. It just had to be channeled. It had to be pastored. It, mm-hmm. He had to be cared for. Yep. Yeah. And when he was, then what people saw was his contribution to the community, yeah. not the challenge to be dealt with. I find it really interesting that when I proposed this question to you both that we, it was uh, the wealthy and the poor and instead it shifted really quickly into experiences with people who have, uh, you know, neurodivergences, right? Rather than, you know, actual you know, visual wealth and visual poorness. Uh, I think that's very interesting. Like the poor of spirit or the people who are marginalized have become the poor in our churches, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's, this is an interesting conversation I've been having with a lot of people about like the point of wellness and why we do what we do and why we talk about uh, helping people th- through their storms because a lot of people would assume that they're wealthy because they're healthy mentally, mm-hmm. okay? And so like a good person, a, good, a person who has stable mental health might find themselves 80% of the time being like, in really good health mentally like they're not having negative thoughts they, they don't feel anxiety they don't need any meds to help steer the ship but then there's other people that 80 percent of the time they are struggling right and they're maybe 20 percent of the time feel normalized as we might put it but they need help they need encouragement they need meds they need direction 80 percent of the time and so I, when I look at it, like, you know, there's people in the church that are 80% of the time functioning really well and healthy, and there's 80 people 80% of the time that are in need. Well, this creates an incredible discipleship opportunity for those people who have good health to be able to sow into people that don't. And then when that person who is in the 80% all of a sudden, or 80% of the time where they're down is having a 20% and they're able to encourage someone else who's in the 80% of the time down, man, it's even more powerful, right? Oh, yeah. Because this is how discipleship works. Like when you start, when someone who's who's in 80% of like the, the 
what we would call good, right, or stable, is investing into someone who is having, you know, more more eighty percent of the time struggles, and then that person is able to also then pour into somebody else. What what a beautiful thing! And I think if I was someone who is who is struggling eighty percent of the time, but was able to give, I would find that so rewarding. You know, in that good time in that good season, you find it so much more rewarding than being this wealthy person who has a lot of things to give. And I think that that's the distinction I really want to take out of, of what we're, t- we're talking about here is that our, 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 sh- our framework for how we judge has shifted. Okay, so when we're looking at the people in our church, we're going, okay, these are our, 80, our, our stable people, our, our, our visually, mentally healthy people, and then there are people that are not. And they're somewhere else on, on a different uh, scale. But it doesn't matter. Because they're all equally valuable in the eyes of the Lord. If they weren't, I wouldn't be here. (laughs) (laughs) Right? And so it's really crazy that we've created kind of like this idea in some of our churches that we can't lead unless we're we're stable. Right? Yeah. We can't lead unless we're like a stable, stable person. And I get kind of that. And I've seen these leadership teams built of these incredible pillars. But man, when those pillars fall, when they're in their 20%, because 80% of the time they're good, but you know, 20% of the time they're not, when they're in that 20% of the t- they fall hard, right? Yeah. And maybe it's less about stability and more about maturity. That's it. Because, yeah, we all have our moments of instability. The question is, like, does our, is our, where is our character? And where is our maturity? And so I'm much more interested in someone that is struggling deeply with things, but has the maturity to, you know, ask for help. Yep. Yeah. To let us know what is going on, let us support them, than I am the person that claims that everything's okay because it isn't mm-hmm. forever. We aren't always okay. Yep. And so, like, I was having this situation where I was talking to somebody that has gone through a lot of challenges. And I've been supporting them and talking to them. And, you know, the question was raised, well, based on what they've gone through, are they qualified to serve? Like, well, they have the maturity to seek help. They have the character to work towards their challenges, like resolving their challenges, and they're humble enough to allow people in Mm -hmm. to process those things. I'm willing to take a risk on that person. Yep. As opposed to the allegedly stable person that's closed off. Yeah. And that's what I really respect about you guys, is that... What okay? What happens when one of us is having a bad day? I send too many memes. <laughs> okay, that too. But no, but seriously, we've all had those moments where we send a message. Mm-hmm. Like even yesterday, I message you guys and I'm like, please pray for me. I am in a very awkward situation right now. Yeah. And then when I'm like, I really don't know what to do. I don't really know how to handle whatever just happened. My instinct was to call Steve. Mm-hmm. Yep. And whether that's to laugh or to cry or to process, whatever. 
because we're willing and we're mature enough to mm-hmm. know our weaknesses yeah. and to be working towards strength, I'm much more interested in that than the person that pretends to be stable. It's really striking that, you know, we've made this shift and, you know, that we've, our judgment scale has changed, right? Between rich and poor. But now going back into five, it's talking again about the actual, those who are rich and actually those who are poor in their, their wealth. And it says, listen, my dearest brother and sister, didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? And says that, yet you have dishonored the poor. So to give some context, as James is bringing a rebuke to the church, they actually were basically selling seats to the wealthy. You can sit in the best seats in the, in the, uh, in the temple or in our meetings, in our gatherings. Um, and then the other seats were then relegated to the poor people. You can stand in the aisles or stand at the back or you can come and uh, sit off to the side here. But the wealthy want to have the best seating because their money is what keeps the church going. Okay, I get that. Okay, I worked in the church world for a long time. I get that we need money to uh, keep the lights on and pay for all the worship software and all the stuff that we have these days. The church back then struggled with something much different, which is that the wealthy had um, power and influence. It wasn't just that they were wealthy. It's that they had power and influence. They had sway at at, at, uh, at the table when it came to political things. Uh, they had a lot of uh, say in their community, and they kind of lorded it about, and it trickled down into the church at this time. So as we're seeing this, it says, Listen, dear brothers and sisters, and God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he's promised to those who love him. It's talking about people who are not powerful. Okay, they don't have have an earthly power. They don't have uh, respect by the government or by the governing bodies or by uh, the religious law at the time. And so these people have been distinguished as being poor, but elevated in the kingdom of God. Because to them, their wealth is their faith. Because the faith becomes so much more important to you when you have to believe and trust in God, that all your power and authority comes from Him. It makes me think about a conversation that I had with a missionary a number of years ago about how it appears that there are more miracles that happen in poor countries. Hmm. I I don't actually think that's the case. No way. Because what I believe, and you guys can disagree, and that's fine. You can be wrong. But, <laughs> but God is moving mm-hmm. in all of our lives. I think the difference is that in the West, where we have a lot of resources, we don't see that it's God's hand. Mm-hmm. We attribute it to everything else, whether it be our money or our health. Like, yeah, so God may intervene more in terms of health-related miracles in places that don't have doctors. That makes sense. But doctors having that kind of knowledge is is a miracle in and of itself. And so what I'm trying to say is that God is moving everywhere, but in the society that we're living in, in the affluent West, 
because like we've written God out of our story because we think we have it all for ourselves. Mm-hmm. But when you go to a place that materially has nothing and all they can do is depend on God, they see God everywhere. Yeah, I won't dig into this too deep because it can become a very long story, but I've had two miraculous healings in my life, one physical, one mental. And I can tell you honestly, my experience, nobody cares. That is what I found. Even in the church, it's kind of, oh, that's cool, that happened to you, I don't know if I believe it, moving on. Hmm. But uh, I will jump into uh, looking at verse 5, well, 5 through 7. One of the things that I noticed is... There's the whole talk of the poor being rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom. And I was reading a blog where this former pastor was ripping into it saying, God's biased here. He's (laughs) saying that the rich can't have this and that the poor get all this just because they're poor. And looking into it, like, God is not biased. How could he be biased is number one. Number two, it's because it's where the riches and faith are placed, where the rich are placing their faith and their money and their power and their status. The poor tend to put their faith in God. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, and so that's great because you will jump now into eight, which kind of is starting to change the tone a bit. We've recognized who the rich are and who the poor are here. That's a very important thing to identify that, you know, it's not a, you can have wealth and still be, uh, you can still treat that wealth as though you're poor, that your power is in God, right? That your all of your authority comes through him and you can use that wealth to serve the kingdom. And you can also be a person who doesn't have wealth, means of wealth and have an incredible, uh, wealth to bring to the kingdom of wisdom and and all your time and and your talents and stuff and so I want to really draw that distinction here that we're not just talking about when we're talking about the rich man like, like Jesus said it's hard for the rich man to get into heaven it's as it's as, as easy it is to pass through the eye of an, for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle as it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Uh, that's a very like tongue-in-cheek statement of like, hey, it's hard if you're trusting your wealth and you have all of your um, everything is taken care of here on earth. It's very hard for you to put your trust and and um, faith into something that's not so easily seen. But it's even harder to uh, for a camel to pass through an eye of a needle than it is to for someone who has their uh, wealth misplaced uh, to get into heaven. And so let's move on to the eight that says, Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, which is love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. That's a very cool uh, way of saying love your neighbor as yourself. That is, get it to the next verse. It's the royal law. Yeah. Right? That's a really, it's a really great thing. Like how often are we challenging ourselves to live by the royal law of loving your neighbor as yourself and then it says you were doing well uh if however if however you show favoritism you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors hold on we've just established in james that there is a royal law that is prescribed in the scripture this is the this is Straight out of the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 22. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
However, if you uh, show favoritism, you are convicted as transgressors of that law. So if you pick and choose which neighbors you love. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> this is very deeply convicting. Yeah, right up to 11. It's... This is very deeply convicting because we live in a, in a time and a space where the church is known for what it's against more than it's known for what it stands for. Mm-hmm. We know who the church, and I'm not saying way, I'm saying the church is in air quotes, uh, the churches, local churches or, or local religious institutions, we know who they show favoritism to. But they're not doing a good job of loving their neighbor. And it says that they're going to be convicted by this law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. Slap. Ouch. Ouch. You know what? I, uh, I, I hurt for those people who are, uh, you know, virtue signaling. And trying to serve a, a religious image that does not uh, suit the heart of God. And the royal law, as prescribed, is to love your neighbors as you love yourself. And when you're saying that you are more important and that you deserve more rights than these other people groups, <laughs> or that you uh, have more rights and freedom than others should have, you are committing a crime and breaking the law and should be convicted as a transgressor of that law. Oh, I mean, if you're listening right now, just take this moment to just pause and repent of the times. I mean, I'm, I'm doing this myself right now of times where like I was a mess and I, I screwed up on this law. And this is a beauty of grace. Hear me on this. Galatians, uh, what an incredible book. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we walked through it not too long ago, uh, grace is for the transgressors. However, knowing that you've that this law is important to God, it's a royal law. We need to take it very seriously. I think we should take a moment to actually pray. We don't normally do that on the podcast. We pray before we record. But I feel like this could be like a really holy moment. And so I'm going to just give you all a moment just to just to quiet yourselves. And then we can just process what we just talked about. Lord, sometimes it is hard to love our neighbors as ourselves. It is challenging to follow the royal law when we're distracted by wealth or status, trying to attain it. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would fill us with broken hearts for the things that break your heart. That the activities that we engage in 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 our communities would be genuinely for the good of the communities and not to pat ourselves on the back. Hmm. And I pray that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know the difference 
so that we can repent when we sense that we are doing even good things with wrong motives. So Lord, search our hearts. Point out the wicked ways in us and lead us to life everlasting. Lead us to your righteousness. But Lord, as Chris said, I thank you for your grace that covers a multitude of sins. I thank you for the fact that we don't have to sit in condemnation because we sit under your grace because of what Jesus did on the cross. Mm-hmm. And so I thank you for this conversation. And even as we just process these things, awaken our hearts to the things that break your heart. And may we have a genuine love for our neighbors. May even this conversation awaken our hearts with love for our neighbors in new ways that we've never experienced before. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Way Niagara podcast. I hope that this has been a great time of reflection and blessing to you. Please feel free to subscribe so that you never miss another episode. We will be right here next week. For more information about all things Way, go to wayniagara.ca, follow us on social media. Thank you so much for tuning in. Bye for now.